We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, you're listening to the BBC Good Food Christmas podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food podcast with Tom Kerridge. I'm Orlando Murren and I'm your host for today. And we are talking about turkey and alternative main courses for your Christmas dinner. But before we get on to that, I want to ask Tom a question just to get us into the atmosphere of Christmas morning. What music do you have in the carriage household on Christmas morning? Oh, the cheesier, the better. I'm, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not really 100% into Christmas tunes like because they come too early on the radio. They come too early in the shops when you're round and about and out and about. But actually, on Christmas Day, really doesn't matter. We'll, we'll have one of the music TV channels on, so it'll have the videos with it as well. So I'm quite happily have any sort of cheesy Christmas tunes on, no matter what. And would you have a bit of a boogie at the same time and shift you along to that? Well, you... yeah, my uh, absolutely. You know, if that's where the mood goes, that's where we're going. If it gets in, if there's gaps in between cooking breakfast, getting lunch ready, yeah, then of course, yeah. There's if there's time for a Christmas dance, then no problem. Or do they have things that they would like to listen to that you would rather not? They've they got no choice, mate. They, they, they get <laughs> what's on is on. That's what they, they have to put up with it. No, Beth absolutely loves Christmas songs and, and, and Little Man. And to be honest, it's one of the first things that kids learn, isn't it? Is Christmas carols and singing things that, you know, and uh, uh, just being in nursery or going through school, they all learn like those kind of like Christmas tunes. So, yeah, it's, it's really good fun. It's, it's a great day, isn't it? Christmas Day for things like that. And who will be eating your turkey with you this year? Uh, this year we have all of the family. So last year there was obviously just the three of us. Uh, so this year it is a pretty much everyone. So it's um, my mum, best mum and dad, cousins, brothers, sisters, nieces. I think there's around about 14 this year. Wow. And do you have turkey at any other time of the year apart from... Christmas Day? It, strangely not. I, I mean, I do love turkey. I mean, I suppose every now and then you might have, we might do something, uh, you maybe like turkey scallops or something like that. But mo- it, really, the only time that we have it is Christmas. I know you don't serve Christmas dinner in the restaurants, but do you serve turkey in the restaurants at all? We do. And the run up to Christmas um, at Carriages Bar and Grill in the centre of London, we are doing kind of like a, a fried turkey um, kind of uh, Christmas set lunch, um, but it isn't. It, it, it's served with um, kind of like cream sprouts, and so it, it's kind of kind of like a Korean fried chicken style, but it's using turkey. And we also do the same for the Butcher's Tap and Grill, where we're doing it um, as a uh, kind of like a burger. So we do burgers in there. So we're doing instead of a chicken burger, we're doing a turkey burger. So it feels very festive. Lovely. And I'm going to ask you some more about cooking turkeys in a moment. But just before we get onto that, can we talk about goose? Where where do you stand on geese? Well, 
I love goose. Cooked properly, it's absolutely delicious. It's a little bit like duck in terms of, you know, you actually want the breast meat to be nicely and pink, but you need the legs to be slow cooked and, and for much longer. So it's quite a difficult thing to get right on Christmas Day if you're doing it. And I would most definitely suggest doing it separately and differently. So you do the legs as maybe a comfy um, a day or two beforehand, and then you roast the crown on the day. But don't be lulled into the sense that gooses have got lots of meat on them. They look big, but they actually have quite a big rib cavity. So the actual breast meat itself, there's not a huge amount on a goose. So don't, if it may look a bigger bird, but actually the yield of meat that you get from it is much smaller than you think you're going to get. So don't, so don't um, if you're going to go for goose, you might need two of them if there's more of you or one if it's about four, uh, four people. I think people have been tripped up by that in the past that it, it is quite large when it arrives, but it's quite small when it comes to actually carving it. And I, I can feel the kind of blood draining from me as I'm trying to carve this goose and get give portions for six people when you really, really, and you've got enough for three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but the flavour of goose is amazing. It's incredible. I love it. I think to eat, it's fantastic. It's just you know, a Christmas day. You just, just don't, yeah, don't get caught out. I've had it so infrequently. How would you describe the flavour of, of goose? It's very similar to duck. It's very similar to duck in terms of, um, uh, but perhaps maybe just a, a little firmer. The, the the flesh is a little firmer to, to when you, when you when you cook it, um, and the, the flavour wise it, it is a little bit more gamey, but nothing too too dissimilar. And. You'd get good gravy from goose, would you? As yeah, you could use the goose bones and the carcasses and roast that up, and then use that for for gravy purposes and stock purposes. No yeah, problem. I think that there's another kind of problem for people with cooking goose on Christmas Day because to get the goose gravy, you kind of need a, a goose beforehand, don't you? Exactly. Maybe We're talking down goosey. We're making goose sound like a really bad <laughs> goose is great. I mean, it is fantastic, but it, it just just be wary of the pitfalls. And I think you need a flock of them so that you can do the buns in advance to. Get get the 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 bones for the stock and then two or three on the day now to return to turkeys because i know that you love turkey and so do i um where are you on heritage birds tom do you you can get all sorts of different types now um special birds to be honest i don't i don't think the heritage of them um flavor wise it doesn't really alter it but actually the actual bird itself where it's been reared how it's been looked after is it free range but most importantly is age and its drying process they're the really important key factors to what makes a great bird and a great turkey so you might get for example there's a six kilo bird which is big or five or six kilo bird from a farm that's been reared and looked after properly. Now, the difference being that it's all to do with skeleton structure. So you might get a six kilo bird, but actually the yield of meat is a lot less because they've put that bird down later. You want a bird to have gone down in June, maybe. There's a six-month growing process of it getting to that point of being well looked after. So what happens is in really good turkey farms, what happens is that they'll grow the the bird to the full size, so it's grown fully grown skeleton, and then it's the meat that goes on afterwards. So that process of it being from a six-month-old bird as opposed to one that might only be three months that has grown to being a larger bird, so it has a larger skeleton frame, 
but actually the meat itself hasn't got to the same point. So there's very, bi- there's very, very big differences in, in, in weights of turkeys. If you just say, I've got a five kilo turkey, it, if it's a five kilo turkey, but it's only got a three month growth process as opposed to a five kilo turkey that's got a six month growth process, the one that's been grown for much longer, which obviously costs more because there is the feed, the looking after process, all of that. that but that then means that the meat is, there's much more yield from it. You get much more meat from a bird that size and also flavor wise as well so if it's grown that long the fat content and the covering of fat is much much better which means that when you roast it it almost becomes self-basting which means you haven't got to put loads of butter on it It helps to keep it a lot more tender and moist so what we're really saying is that you're better to buy if you possibly can one from a farm or from a non mass produced type outlet if you possibly can absolutely because i'm not sure what else i'd ask how long how long long? has this turkey been grown a butcher should know shouldn't he if you independent butcher independent butcher should definitely know yeah yeah. now you mentioned moist turkey now this is the dream and i know that from bbc good food together our lovely facebook group that everyone is looking for a moist succulent turkey and a moist succulent turkey crown particularly for those smaller households who don't want the whole bird so Apart from buying this farm-raised bird in the first place, how can we make sure that our turkey is juicy and succulent? Please help us. Uh, so the the cooking process, getting a turkey, uh, getting a, a, a probe to probe into your turkey to check what temperature it comes to to make sure that it's not overcooked. So if you cook the turkey and you roast it to around about 65 um, and then you remove it from the oven and you leave it to to then continue to cook, then that residual heat will mean that the bird reaches 70 degrees centigrade, but you, you've, it's got that resting process and the residual heat that's then continued to cook it. But also, because many people think that when you take it out of the oven, what happens is it starts to cool down, but it doesn't. What happens is that residual heat from the outside continues to permeate to the middle before it starts to cool. So if you take it out before it's reached the prime temperature that you need it to be, then it will continue cooking to that point. But I think one of the biggest things that you can do that will help you improve flavor and then help improve uh, keeping the turkey nice and moist and succulent is a brining process. And it's very, very simple. Now you could do it with lots of different flavors. You can add spices and seasonings and everything into it. However, a 10% brine overnight will make a big difference. And by 10%, I mean 100 grams of salt to a liter of water. And you just, and you haven't got to boil it. You haven't got to do anything. You've just got to measure out um, a liter of water 100 grams of of table salt and whisk it together. Now, a litre won't be enough to brine a whole turkey. But if you've used that as a measurement, okay, and you do that and you get yourself a nice big clean bucket from a builder's yard or something or, 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 or a DIY shop, and then you put the turkey in that, cover it with that brine and leave it overnight. Okay, so, so on the 23rd, okay, then the 24th, you take it out of the brine and you dry it and pat it dry. Okay, and then you leave it in the fridge, okay, with uncovered so that the skin dries, but it's been through that brining process and that salt process helps to lock in moisture, basically. It sounds it sounds like it's a bizarre um, way of doing things because you think salt would draw moisture, but what happens is it helps lock it in and then you roast the turkey. That way you've got a much better chance of getting flavoured, but also more succulent turkey. Excellent. Thank you for explaining it so thoroughly. I just got to go back over a couple of things there. So it's got to be a clean bucket. You can't use your <laughs> yeah. dustbin. Yeah, no, you can't, <laughs> you can't use your dustbin, your dustbin or one that you've mixed cement in. Okay. No, definitely not. Now, for the overnight brining, when it's underwater in this 10% solution, 
I've been told that it needs to be in a cool, cool place, like an outhouse. I don't have an outhouse. I imagine a lot of people who do have outhouses, they have foxes and mice and jackdaws scampering around them. So what is a cool place? Is it a utility? You can leave room? it outdoors, but but just put a lid on it. Make lid sure, on the dustbin. Uh, uh, yeah, put a, put a lid on the bucket, you know, something, just some, cover it with something, then put a load of bricks on it or sit on it overnight. Whatever you got to do, okay. don't let the foxes get it. It'll be absolutely fine. Bearing in mind it's the 23rd of December. It's going to be pretty cold outside. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Excellent. And does that mean if we've brined our turkey, um, does that mean that we don't have to season it? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. You don't want it to. So so you can, the salt content will will, will have permeated through into the meat, which will mean that the meat is flavoursome. You've got that seasoning. And then if you need to season it afterwards, once it's cooked, then you can sprinkle on a little bit of flaky rock salt, can't you? And you're sure that the brining is really worth the extra trouble? 100%. Definitely do it. Do it, do it, do it. I'm very happy, but I have to check that with you because it's all a bit of an upheaval and I'm having to go to the DIY shop to buy the bucket and the bricks and borrow the bricks from a neighbour and stuff. Well, you don't need bricks. You can (laughs) use just anything that heavy that sits on the lid. I mean, uh, for me, it's a hundred... I mean, going, you're going shopping anyway, aren't you? You're buying wrapping paper, you're buying ingredients for bits and bobs. The least you can do is buy yourself a bucket. <laughs> Would you do the same for chicken? Yeah, chicken's exactly so, the so same. So you do the same yeah. process if you if you wanted to make a special chicken. Yeah. Or would you do it for an would you do that ordinarily for a Sunday? Pretty much chicken. most meats work much better coming from a brine, unless it's a steak. Things that you want to slow cook, like lamb shoulders, legs of lamb, um, beef, you know, that you slow cook. Things like short ribs, um, shins of beef, they work really nicely from a brine. But most importantly, poultry works incredibly well because that's where you want to lock in a lot of that moisture um, because that's food that it dries out. Food, food uh, a meat that has a lower fat content, the brining process helps so much so much more so if i go along to one of your restaurants at night i'll see all these little buckets with with chickens and things bobbing around in them or do you keep them indoors no they they we're very fortunate restaurants we have great big walk-in fridges so we're all right (laughs) okay we don't we have bigger we have bigger containers as well rather than just buckets we're doing more than one at a time okay you disappointed (laughs) me there i thought this might be some something to instagram tom um do you do that thing of of putting butter under the skin where you kind of wiggle wiggle your hands in and with butter between the the skin and the the turkey meat yeah you can uh, except that that's to do i mean that's to help try and keep moisture in a fat content but if you've bought a really good turkey with a high fat content you won't need to do that you could put butter on the top i mean i would generally just go with a drizzle of vets, just light vegetable oil and, and and then a seasoning if you haven't brined it i wouldn't worry about the butter and then what happens is the natural fats come out of it and then you just keep rebasing it. If you have brined it, you you particularly wouldn't bother with no, the, with the butter. No just, just not necessary. No need. Now the thing about turkey skin is you, you always got to remember it's never going to go super crispy. It will go a lovely golden brown, but turkey skin is it's got a much 
thicker. Um, it's much thicker than chicken skin. Chicken skin is a lot easier to get nice and crisp. But turkey skin, particularly for a bird that's been reared for six months, I mean, has a thicker skin. It's all about the flavor into the meat, not about crispy skin. Turkey skin will taste nice, but you're never going to get that kind of nice, like fragile crispness that you might get from chicken skin. You drop that into the conversation, but I know that lots of our listeners will now want to say, how does he get his chicken skin crisp then? So what's the secret to that? Exactly the same way, looking after the turkey, exactly the same way, um, drying it, keeping it crisp, but making sure that you have a beautiful, well-looked-after, well-reared, free-range chicken, the same as you would for a a turkey. If if you've got one a little bit more of a mass-produced chicken that comes from a supermarket, it's a lot more difficult to get crispy skin on it. But it's, I mean, you can still make it tastes lovely but it but it, it it's a lot harder to get that dried out crispy air dried skin and there's not a secret to it like doing it with a hairdryer or no, anything like I, that no i mean there might be but i for me on it, youtube it, everything's on youtube uh, if yeah you exactly exactly <laughs> I, I think it's always very difficult i think the thing you do is you, you can just just buy the best best poultry that you can afford and and then and then cook it in the best possible way that you can obviously the better the product the better the fat content the more it's been looked after the more it's been um uh, either salt age or dried uh, uh air dried you, you're more likely to be able to get a better finish to the skin. I have to ask you this because I know you spend a lot of time in the States. Have you tried the deep fried turkey where they winch the thing into a, a barrel of boiling oil? I haven't, no, but I know a number of people that have that said um, it's quite an interesting way of cooking it quite a good, because it almost, it, you're not, cook, you're cooking it at a lower fryer temperature but you have to keep that temperature quite low um because otherwise it just it just caramelizes too quickly before it's actually cooked so you have to cook it around about 160 degrees like you would like an oven but it fries it and crisps it up but it also also steams it that's the thing so it works quite nicely however i have cooked the turkey a turkey on a barbecue before and the flavor that you get from it is immense on Christmas Day was that? On Christmas Day, yeah. I'll be doing it on the I'll be doing it on the barbecue this year. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Come what about if it's pouring with rain? You'll be doing it under under an umbrella or something. No, I've, I've got one of those uh, egg style barbecues where the lids will shut oh. on it. So it will it, it I was will thinking be... about you getting wet rather than the turkey. You've de- well the nice thing about those egg style barbecues, you get them to the temperature that you want. You can kind of shut the valves down, you put the turkey in and you can walk away and leave it. It's just like an outdoor oven. <laughs> and it, it will look look after itself. Exactly. I really feel that we've conquered the turkey now. Um, And thank you very much for that. I'd like to interject uh, a a very serious question that we had in on the Facebook site, which was from a person who wishes to remain anonymous. Uh This person who is a male says, we have been invited to Christmas dinner along with eight other family members. The cook, that's inverted commas, for the day is very keen and wants to show they can do it. Previous Christmas dinners have been less than perfect. I have been approached by other family members to step in. I have culinary training. Should I just sit back and take what comes for the sake of harmony or somehow intervene? Please don't use my real name as I want to remain alive for Boxing Day. Oh, it's very difficult. I mean... In in our family, it's always been me that does the cooking on Christmas Day because it's always been easier and I think everybody's just stood back and just let me get on with it. Um, to be fair, best mum cooks a wonderful Christmas lunch. She was very, very, she is a very, very good cook. But it, it always normally falls in my hands because I have the experience. But if there is somebody there that's inviting you over and wants to show you that they can do it, do you know what? I mean, it's a 50-50 call, but I would say take a back seat and enjoy it. And when it comes just, to, you know, if you can see it going wrong, say, 
can I help? Is there anything I can do? Is there anything? But I, I, I would take a back seat on this one and let them get on with it because you never know. They may absolutely smash it out of the park and you may end up having the best Christmas lunch ever and you haven't had to cook it. That would be a very happy outcome, wouldn't it? So, person who wishes to remain anonymous, stick in there and and just see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? You end up eating lots of chocolate throughout the day to make up for the nightmare, don't you? Yeah, well, I hope they're going to actually, this person who is a bad cook, manages to cook the turkey so it doesn't poison them all, but fingers crossed on that one. Um, That's when we all need a thermometer. You mentioned taking the temperature earlier, and I know that we're both fans of of cooking thermometers because... um, they just take the guesswork out, don't they? Yeah, they're just very, very helpful. You know, they're just very, very helpful for you making sure that you, you can get things cooked correctly and safely. Um, Stuffing. Can we talk about stuffing? Yeah. In, in the bird or out? I always do it out. So I do it separately. Um, So we, we bake it in a tray or a, a kind of like I've got a round metal container that I quite often will align with streaky bacon and then I'll put the stuffing in and bake it almost like a cake. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful. And then you can do slices of it and it stays to one side. It works, it works perfectly. It's a great way of doing it. If you stuff it into the bird, it's another thing that you've got to get cooked. I'd let the bird roast on its own. I would do the stuffing separately. Any particular favourite stuffings? And Kate W. from Facebook would like to know if we can think of any stuffing recipes that don't use sausage meat but aren't necessarily vegetarian. I'm reading between the lines that Kate W or someone connected with Kate W doesn't like sausage meat for some reason. Or won't eat pork, which is cool. So so what we do, so very similar to um, what what we might be tasting in a minute um, is, is using chicken mousse. So you kind of like chop up chicken and then put that into a food processor and blend that with a little, with some egg and some cream and you create this lovely chicken mousse and you use that as the binding agent for breadcrumbs and your soft fruit and your sweated down onions and the herbs that you want to do so instead of using um uh, uh sausage meat use a kind of like a make it make a kind of a, like a farce or quite a loose chicken mousse that's a great way of sticking everything together following on from that tom um we know that some people don't care for turkey or just don't want it this year and You've done a great recipe for the magazine called Pork and Chestnut Wellington, which is a a kind of big celebration dish. And we've got it in front of us now. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's a huge turkey fan. So we quite often ask for alternatives and some people would do a four rib of beef or some people, but but then people worry about a four rib of beef and making sure that it's cooked properly. And then somebody likes their beef rare, somebody likes it well done. You know, what are the alternatives? So something delicious like a Wellington, it always looks celebratory. It's always got this wonderful kind of centerpiece um, kind of feel about it um, when you put it into the middle of the table, like this roasted, great big, like beautiful looking thing wrapped in pastry. So th- th- this this is a pork one. So it uses a pork loin. So it, it's quite... Um, it's quite tender. So what you want to do is make sure that it's quite a low in fat recipe port loin. So you want to wrap it in, and we wrap it in kind of like a mushroomy and chicken and chestnut kind of mousse that's wrapped over the top, then in pancetta, then in puff pastry and then baked. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a process to get there, but actually when it comes to the cooking of it, when it finally comes to the table, it looks fantastic. It's very easy to serve. You're just cutting slices of it and it goes very well with all of the other vegetables that you have on the table for Christmas. Christmas Day. It looks absolutely beautiful and glistening with a little bit of flaky salt 
sprinkled on it. And I, I don't know whether our listeners could hear me carving it there, but it has a, a lovely kind of rustling quality, like crisp leaves on Christmas morning. Well, that's the lovely thing, isn't it, about um, puff pastry, you know, that, that it has that kind of crisp and crustness to it that's that delicious once it's baked. It's wonderful stuff. Um, I'm afraid that I, I, I have tried to make it and it's okay, but I think that the bought stuff is practically miraculous. Puff pastry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, unless you're a super skilled trained pastry chef, rough puff you could have a go at making. That would work really, really nicely for this. That's not a problem. Much, much easier to make. But yeah, you can buy some exceptional standard um, ready-made all butter puff pastry that goes in for this and it, and it works so, so well. When it comes to Christmas Day and you've got, say it is a turkey that you've chosen, do you carve it directly onto plates or do you carve it onto a platter and let people help themselves? How do you manage that rather large item? Platter, carve it onto a platter, let people help themselves. Listen, I mean, the day is trouble enough as it is. If you start plating up, particularly if you're cooking for more than four people, you know, the moment you start plating things up for everybody, things are going cold. What I, I 100% will get serving platters warm, take them out, Put everything, the sprouts in one, the potatoes in another, carrots in another. Get everybody when they all say, is there anything I can do to help? Yeah, actually, because they're throwaway comments. When, or just a word of warning there. When people go, is there anything I can do to help? What they mean is, I'm just going to go in there and watch the telly. But that's, that's a no. When they say, is there anything I can do to help? Yes, you can take all of this to the table and you can start serving yourself. Don't sit there being polite. Everyone stand around the table. So don't sit there and wait to be served. Dig in, get on with it. I would 100% family style serve it, dump it all in the middle of the table and get everyone to help themselves. Don't, you know, the moment you start having to plate up for people, things have gone cold, it becomes, and, and all that work you've put in is gone. Dump it in the middle of the table, then people can go, all right, maybe they want one or two potatoes, maybe they want 10 potatoes, maybe they do or don't like carrots, who knows? Like they can get what they want and enjoy it. And it's part of Christmas, the kind of scrabbling around and knocking things over and bumping into each other and demanding things from the other end of the table. One end you, of the you table to the other. didn't get them. Yeah, I mean, you say the other end of the table. What normally happens is you have the one table and then you have the outdoor table with some deck chairs where the kids sit at the end, the, make, the makeshift one where you've turned a normal table into an extended one. <laughs> Um, what do you serve with a turkey or indeed a pork wellington in the way of um, relishes? Gravy, obviously, but, Gravy. but would you do bread sauce with y turkey? Yeah, oh, definitely bread sauce with turkey. I absolutely love it. Bread sauce, gravy, cranberry You've sauce. You've got an ecstatic look at the mention of bread sauce. I, I take it it's one of your things. Yeah, I absolutely love bread sauce. I love the flavour that you can get into it. Again, it comes back to those kind of Christmas spices of, of nutmeg, of cinnamon, of those a little bit of cloves there in the infused milk. They work really, really well. And cranberry sauce? Where are we on cranberry sauce? 100% cranberry sauce. You can make it yourself. The weird thing about cranberry sauce is that cranberries are in season in the summer. So that's when all cranberry sauce gets made. So why it's, it then gets recognised as something that we serve on Christmas Day is because, you know, that's something that comes from the States. But it's that sweetness of chutney and jam with it is absolutely lovely. Unless you're going to use frozen cranberries, which you, you can then make your own thing. But there is nothing wrong with a jar of it, is there? Like, really, it's Christmas Day. You've made so many other things. Let's not go making cranberry sauce unless you've got plenty of time on your hands yeah and it it does jolly up the plate it adds color to the plate doesn't it yeah now you are famous for your roast potatoes <laughs> so are you prepared to share with our lovely listeners how you do your roast potatoes yeah so you you cut your potatoes up into the size that you want them and you gently poach them in boiling salted water but don't boil them too much so that they're rapidly and then they fall apart you want to but you want to cook them all the way through okay as if it's like a steamed potato and then gently lift
lift them from the water with a spoon, slotted spoon. Don't drain them down in the sink through a colander. Don't put a lid on and pass them out that way because they'll break up. Because bear in mind, we're cooking them all the way through. Then you lift them with a spoon and put them onto a large cake rack and leave them to cool. So there's air circulating underneath. And what happens is as they cool and dry, that's where the outer skin and the outer crust on that potato will form. So you get this kind of like dry, gnarly bits, and it will change almost color and texture. It starts going um, a little bit opaque color on the outside. Then in an oven, preheated, 200 degrees, hot oil, quite a lot of oil into the oven, getting nice and nice and hot as if you were doing Yorkshire puddings. And then you gently place the potatoes once they're dry, no moisture, into the hot oil and roast them in the oven. And then you'll turn them, make sure they get a covering of oil. But as you'll roast them, so all you're doing is essentially oven frying these potatoes to ensure that they go crispy on the outside, but they're still going to be fluffy in the middle because you've already pre-cooked them in the boiling salted water. And any particular oil? Straight veg oil. I will always go for clean, crisp veg oil, sunflower oil. I won't use duck fat. I mean, duck fat is there. It's good for flavor, but it sometimes will have impurities in and it won't give the clean, crispest where you want this wonderful, like golden, bronzed, orange, kind of crispy, crunchy potatoes. Duck fat works, but I would just always go for crisp, clean oil. Always gets yourself a crisp, clean potato. Why are people so interested in duck fat and goose fat nowadays? Is it because we can buy it in tins? I think you can buy it in tins. Simply that. Yeah, and and it does give flavour. It works really nicely. It is amazing. And it is the one time a year again that you can use it. But I'm all about just making sure that you can get pinpoint perfect crispy potatoes. I'd rather have a crispy potato that tastes of potato and lovely than a soggy, mushy one that tastes a bit like duck fat. And (laughs) any tips for the gravy? Uh, yeah, you've got to have yourself a good stock. So you could buy yourself really good poultry stocks. You could buy yourself ready-made gravy. But once you've, whatever it is that you've roasted and done in a tray, use your flour and your butter and, and kind of make that roux base and then add your stock to it and just keep cooking it out that way. But use the tray, the roasting tray of where you've roasted whatever meat it is, whether it's turkey, whether it's beef, whatever it is. And would you... Use a splash of brandy in that on Christmas. What with it being Christmas Day or Madeira or something like that? Yes, but it up? I, I would, but always at the end, never at the beginning. So quite often people will talk about when they make sauces and gravies, they put alcohol in at the beginning so it cooks the alcohol away which in turn removes the flavour and the impact that it has. And it also means that you have to use more because you put it in, you cook it, you reduce it down. Yes, it kind of intensifies the flavour of the, what you're cooking, but it doesn't really, it, for me, it doesn't work. The, the, the impact that you want from it, you need to, you finish with it with a splash of it raw at the end. So you make your gravy exactly as you want it to, then you can put a splash of Madeira, then you put a splash of brandy or a, a splash of red wine, and that's when you serve it because that's when it has the impact. And say... This has happened to me that you've got you've made your lovely gravy and you finished it off as you suggested and you taste it and the salt is fine but it just tastes a bit unexciting or flat or dull. Is there anything that we can fix it up with just to to, to lift it at that point? So there's at lots the end? Of, yeah, there's lots of different things that you can do. Um, again, a little splash of alcohol works really nicely, but a little few drizzles of, of soy sauce or Worcester sauce will help make things come alive. A little grate of orange zest or lemon zest, something like that really does bring out and, and, and enhance flavours. And you don't want to put in so much that it actually tastes of that thing. You just want it there as a note. Is yeah, that right? Exactly. 
generally that. tasting of Worcester sauce or, or soy sauce. You no, just... you're almost seasoning with it. Yeah, okay. Well, I've got that straight. I think I'm really well fixed with my turkey dinner now. I'm looking forward to it more than ever. I'm having a turkey crown myself, so I'm on the on the smaller scale. But it will be brined. I will protect it from marauding wild animals. You'll have to sit on it all night. <laughs> Wait for Santa to come. <laughs> now, we've got this toothsome pork wellington to eat, but also we have our little ceremony of the crackers, where I always end up with the with the joke and the hat and Tom ends up with nothing. So let's see if that is going to play itself out. I might be to do with the way you hold it. You know? uh, yeah, yeah. You've got like a cheating method. I I've think. got I a mean, grip. There you go. See, look. <laughs> I mean, this is actually uncanny. Oh, yeah, finally. Yeah, finally. I okay. congratulate you. There's nothing better is there, than the smell of crackers. I love it. Like that, that kind well, of. Well, I, I think the Wellington smells pretty good myself. Yeah, it's very true. Okay. My, I've got a sticker that says Santa's favorite elf, which is pretty cool. Well, I you like and that. elves. Yeah, me and elves. I have, I've got, I've got a joke which I understand for once. Yeah, go on. It's not, not splendid. Which of Santa's reindeer has bad manners? <laughs> no idea. Rude elf. <laughs> Could be worse. It could be worse. How about this? <laughs> what carol is heard in the desert? What do carolers heard in the desert? Oh, camel, ye faithful. <laughs> See, it is worse. I got a worse joke. It means that we end our podcast on a bit of a downer. I think we're going to have to think of something else to do. I mean, who writes these? <laughs> anyway, I wish all our listeners happy turkey times or whatever turkey alternative you're having this year and um, look forward to seeing you in our next podcast thank you Tom and happy Christmas everyone thanks for listening and if you like today's Christmas recipe tune in to Tom's bonus cook-along episode tomorrow and that was the BBC Good Food Christmas podcast with me Tom Kerridge happy Christmas happy Christmas